The sermon you are about to hear was given at Pillar Bible Fellowship in Hood River, Oregon. Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. Email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org. You can find more information about Pillar Bible Fellowship online at www.pillarhoodriver.org. Please enjoy the podcast. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the morning and for the songs that we could lift up to you. So many wonderful truths, and it just uh, struck me to think of the one song we sang a little bit earlier, that who can bring counsel to the Lord, and who can question the Lord? And then in the reading of this passage, we, uh, we're just left wondering, how is, this supposed to, how is this all supposed to work out? And yet you reveal throughout the pages of Scripture how it works out perfectly, not only for Abraham and Isaac, but you being the perfect heavenly father who offered your son and carried through with the act and indeed did raise Jesus from the dead and so that he could walk with his disciples and teach them from all the scriptures everything concerning himself. Lord, we, wanted, we want to be those disciples today. We want to learn from your word everything that you have to reveal to us about yourself that we would understand what it means to be in a relationship with you, God Most High. We pray that, Lord, that you would use this time to that end. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please have a seat. Genesis 22 will be the passage that we're going to be working through, as was the scripture reading. As we are getting into the word this morning, I, I think everyone is fairly familiar with this passage. For the most part, it's, it's one of the, the passages in, in the Bible that people tend to gravitate towards and say, you know, what was going on in Genesis 22? It stands out. And much like the place that we live, we, we see there's terrain features that stand out around this valley. We had some guests that stopped by the house the other day, and the first thing they said when they got out of the car was, wow, there's three mountains. We can see three mountains. And they're very prominent features. And when I was uh, a late teen learning to fly here in the valley, I quickly realized how valuable they are for navigation. Having these prominent terrain features is very hard to get lost. As long as uh, there's no clouds, uh, if you're flying around, it's pretty easy to navigate the Hood River Valley and the surrounding area. It's valuable to have something for visual navigation. And then later on in my military career, I flew a lot in Oklahoma. No mountains, but still a lot of navigational aids because there's this grid that's laid out over Oklahoma because of the farmland, the sections. And you, learn, you get good at counting grid lines and realizing, okay, there's that grain elevator. If I go over five grid lines and I line up, then the airport's going to be another... 15 grid lines down to the south, and could teach my students that too. But that's from a perspective from up above. That's looking down on a sprawling landscape with a different perspective. Perspective is so helpful for us. 
And most of the time, we can't have that type of a perspective because when we are navigating day-to-day living, where do we find ourselves? Attached to terra firma. Our feet are on the ground. We don't get a look from above and see exactly what's going on. We have to navigate while we're attached to the ground. And that makes it tough to uh, discern what a tall terrain feature is like when you're standing at the base of it. So you might be in the wilderness ready to go on an adventure, knowing that you want to go up this slope. You want to go up to this summit. You can tell it's formidable, but you can't see the path directly. It's, un, it's unclear exactly how you need to get from the bottom at the base to the top. This is because our view is oftentimes obscured while we're standing on the ground. You can have many things that obscure you. Even, even uh, some of the mountains we might climb here. They might take hours or days to climb. And even while you're hiking, going up the mountain, you might not know exactly where you are in relationship to the summit. Because there are false summits, there's also other terrain features that hide where you might be going exactly, and then the vegetation could obscure where you're trying to get to. And you can't tell how you're progressing in relationship to the summit. But what's your duty when you're trying to get to the top? If your goal is to get there, you have to put one foot in front of the other. You have to take steps to get there. One step after another, knowing that each step is taking you closer to the top. And this is very much like what we're witnessing in the life of Abraham. He's been steadily moving forward, growing in his faith, even with his setbacks. We've seen his setbacks. But clear progress has been made. The question, though, that still remains is this. Will he trust God completely? Another one is, is God really trustworthy? Is God faithful to keep his promises? Well, how does this go about getting tested? God has a test that is very specific to Abraham. God has a test that is very specific to Abraham. And we're going to look at it in detail as we move through the verses of chapter 22. But importantly, we need to be asking ourselves very similar question of how can we trust God completely? How can we know that our trust in God is complete? I believe the answer is very much like that ascending of a mountain. You might not see the very top. It might be obscured. But your job is to continue moving forward in faith, taking steps one at a time, moving forward in faith. And oftentimes, if you've been walking as a Christian for any length of time, you know what it's like to look back at your life that God has been taking you through, that you've been walking steadily along in faith. And that's when you notice, whoa, there was a a really steep pitch that I, I was able to get up. I didn't even realize how steep of a pitch that was until I'm this far along in the, in the climb. Or that snow field that was crossed, that was more vast than I even realized until now standing at this vantage point. What a terrain feature that was to cross. 
This is us moving along. This is the sanctification process. When you look back, you suddenly you see more clearly just what your life has, has been made up of as God has been carrying you along. And taking it all in, you cannot help but praise God for what he's done. For his carrying you along. And in observing that, you're encouraged. I'm encouraged. And the encouragement is to take the next step. Take the next step because you know God will provide. Take the next step because you know God will provide. As we jump into the text, the first point is going to be about God will provide tests. We're going to see that. Very specific to Abraham is a test. A test. That's how the chapter starts out in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham. God tested Abraham. I'm not going to to, uh, recap all that's transpired in the life of Abraham, but it's important to consider the high points. His calling back in chapter 12. Abraham was called. He was called from the land of the Chaldeans. And he received a promise. And he continued to receive promises, not only in chapter 12, but chapter 15 and chapter 17 that we've all worked through. And then we got to observe God interacting with God. Observe, excuse me, Abraham interacting with God in chapter 18. You know, God came to the tent and then he was going to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah to take a look about. Remember, Abraham petitioned God. Far be it from you, God, to sweep away the righteous with the wicked. That was chapter 18. And then he observed the devastation of what wickedness truly did to that area. He saw the smoke rising like that of a smoke from a furnace the very next day, realizing how powerful God is and how he had no toleration for the wicked and smote them with fire and brimstone. And then he had the the promise preserved. Even in the midst of his follies in chapter 20, giving Sarah away or allowing her to be taken out of his house to Abimelech. But the promise was preserved. God intervened. And then the promise was fulfilled. Chapter 21, Isaac was born, the son of the promise. Steadily moving along in his faith and in his life. We see this in Abraham. We see this. Steadily moving along. And like I said earlier, there's a test. There's a test very specific for Abraham. And as we're going through chapter 22, church, I don't want you to think that the test that Abraham had is going to be the exact same test that you have. God knows us so well. And I was sharing with Seth beforehand that I I think it might be important to to take a look at Psalm 139 just briefly. Uh, It was touched upon a bit in 103, but in Psalm 139... We see how well God knows us. And so I wanted to just highlight, uh, starting in verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, is what the psalmist says here. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. But then skipping down to verse 16, the psalmist says, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, 
the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. This is the God that knows Abraham so well. Every one of Abraham's days, every one of Isaac's days, every one of our days. This is the God that knows us this well. He will give us the tests and the trials that are appropriate for each one of us. He gives Abraham a test. Verse 1 says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, continuing on, and said to Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And then the test. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. That's the test. Abraham is hearing the voice of the Lord, and I'm sure after being a worshiper of God Most High for many decades now, that call was probably exhilarating. God's calling down to me. God wants to talk to me. But then there's more, and it's very different. This message that comes from Yahweh really makes no sense. And it should make no sense to us as it hits our ears apart from what we know is going to happen in the rest of Scripture. Because the God that we've been studying in the book of Genesis is a life-giving God. He created life. He commanded that Adam and Eve multiply and fill the earth. And he blessed that. That was the blessing God overlaid on his creation, was one of life, of multiplication, of blessing. And then this test comes to offer Isaac to take his life, the son of the promise, the only son, the son whom Abraham loves, is to be offered as a human sacrifice. And we know, as the readers from verse 1, that this is a test. The narrator lets us know Abraham is tested, so we know that. But Abraham, Abraham receives this command to do something he never even considered as a possibility. And how is he to make sense of this? Without a doubt, this had to have put Abraham in a tremendous place of questioning. A tremendous place of questioning. And tests and trials have a way of doing this. All of us know that. We go into a test or a trial, and then come the doubts. Then come the questions. I know for many, I know for me in particular, and I'll ask, has anyone else been wrestling with God's word, trying to make sense of of it in light of what was happening all around us in this era of COVID-19? Trying to say, like, what does God's word have to say? And how do I make sense of what I'm seeing happen all around me? Because when we pay close attention, we can clearly see churches are undergoing severe trials right now. Severe trials and times of testing. There's Canadian pastors that are being jailed for keeping their churches open. It's happening up in Canada. In Moscow, Idaho, last year, Christians were arrested for singing psalms in a parking lot in the city of Moscow, Idaho. Christians were arrested 
because they gathered together to sing songs of praise and to sing the psalms because they violated masking and distance requirements. And when the chief of police was asked from the city of Moscow why he hadn't done the same thing in the previous multiple times the church had gathered, he said the time for education had passed and time for enforcement was now upon us. Trying to make sense of this trying to make sense of what's happening. And because of this, many churches, we know this to be true, are not assembling, not gathering, not worshiping God most high. Other churches are placing requirements on attendance in terms of special requirements of what is required to come. But church, I've been encouraged by uh, by this gathering, by the saints that have been coming together throughout this time to worship God. And to do so knowing that it's a struggle. It's a struggle to meet each other where we're at, to give each other the grace that has been asked of one another, to to be led in that. It's going to have to continue. We know there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. But this is a place of great encouragement. Last week, as we gathered as a church, I was so blessed by the gathering of the saints. This week, yet again, we have gathered. And it's good. And we're strengthened by coming together to sit under the preaching of God's word. Abraham. Abraham, as we see him being tested, given this word from God, has a response. God's command comes in verse 2 and verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place in which God had told him. Commentators on this passage state what we all intuitively know. Abraham did not have a restful night of sleep. He received the command. He arose early. In between when he got the command and when he arose early, as a father who's being tormented. Not only does he have the knowledge that he's going to lose his son, that's enough to keep any any parent awake, but he's being told by God that he's the one that's going to be bringing about the loss of his son. No peace there. There's no peace that could have been there. That had to have been a horrific night for Abraham. And, and what is he to do? And we're going to get to this later, how he comes about to making his decision. But what we see here is that Abraham is taking the next step because he knows God will provide. He's taking that next step, trusting that God will provide. And I do want to draw out something that really struck me through Though, here in verse 3, well, I guess two things. First, Abraham knew the voice of the Lord. So that same admonition that, that Seth gave to us earlier when he was up here is Abraham knew the voice of the Lord. He knew that God was talking to him and that it was a command. And so we return to that once again. So often we need to know God's word. That's how he speaks. He speaks through his word. He speaks through his revealed word. That's how he speaks, through the Bible. 
And I know for me personally, when I was young, being baptized around nine or 10, growing up in a Christian home, it wasn't until about three or four years later when I was like, I have got to start reading God's word. Like, I can't call myself a Christian and not know what's in God's word. And that made a huge difference. And it's continuing to make a difference in my life by taking in God's word regularly. So that's first, he knew the voice of the Lord. But second, in, a, in addition to the practical needs of having these two young men along, so I, I, just, I just gleaned this from observing verse three. He, he takes these two young men along. Abraham, Abraham being well north of 100 years old, he's got these assistants with him and he's traveling. So he's got them there. So there's the, the practical side. But he also is gonna have to divulge some of the plan. Like, here's two witnesses to what's going to happen. And anytime we're going through a test or a trial, I see here some wisdom in making sure other people are aware of what it is you're going through. How many of you have tried to accomplish a goal, a hard goal, without ever telling anybody else? What is the tendency? You get part way, it gets really difficult because you know it's going to be. And you find yourself giving yourself an out. I'll try it again later. I'll do it some other time. But if if you bring others in, if you bring in some witnesses and you share what you're going through, your your test or your trial, there's encouragement, there's accountability that comes along with that. So I I just observed that from the text. And it's important for us not to keep to ourselves those areas that we're being challenged in. So if you're a brother in Christ and you're going through a time of difficulty, don't keep it to yourself. If it's your test and trial, great, but make sure you're sharing that so you can have encouragement along the way. And same thing with sisters. You're, if you're carrying a burden, don't, don't carry it by yourself. Allow us to follow through with that command of carrying one another's burdens. Let it be known. Let it be known in, in the fellowship. So you can be ministered to and be held accountable to remain faithful as you walk through those steps. And I say this for here, Abraham would have had to have let these young men know something of his intentions. And they're now acting as those witnesses. They're now acting as witnesses and whether or not he's going to succeed in making it all the way to Moriah to the place of worship. They see that he has wood cut for a whole burnt offering. And there's no mistaking what they were setting out to go do. And they're along the way with him. Continuing in the text, verses 4 and 5, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy We'll go over there and worship and come again to you. Throughout this passage, the imagery is unmistakable. The imagery. We have to be thinking of our whole Bible now. The imagery, unmistakable. The sun is carrying the wood. I'm sorry, I skipped in my notes. We'll get to that part. This is an agonizing journey. Three days of travel to Moriah. And I'm guessing that lodged in Abraham's throat had to have been a lump that whole time. And every time he would have looked at Isaac, 
tears would have streamed down his face. This is just my guess of what this flight was like, but I, I doubt that there was any joking or casual conversation on this three-day journey on the way to Moriah. But what are they doing? Abraham is taking one step at a time, not knowing how, but trusting God will provide. And even looking at the language reveals that this faith is either overtly present or being subconsciously processed. For in here, it's a first-person plural that's going to return. We will return after we worship. Not knowing how, but trusting God to make this provision. He's either overtly or subconsciously in a place of faith, and that's how it's recorded. We will come again. In the ESV, the we is dropped out, but if you look at other English translations or back at the original Hebrew, first person plural, come again, shuv, to return. And in verse 6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. This is the imagery that I'm talking about. What is being placed upon the son? The wood. He's carrying wood. Imagery is very rich in this passage. And we know there is a future son of the promise that, that John records. He went out bearing his own cross. The wood was placed upon Jesus, the son. And this is also showing us there's a partnership. There's a father and son effort being happen, happening here between, between Abraham and Isaac Mutual work that's going to be required between father and son to carry out what God has commanded of Abraham. Abraham being well over 100 years old and Isaac likely being a fairly strong teenager capable of carrying enough wood for a whole burnt offering up, up to the top of Moriah. So we can't miss the imagery. We can't miss the foreshadowing of what's to come. A father and son and then the son submitting to the father. These are things that we know come more to life as scripture reveals more and more who God is and his plan of redemption. And so they go, Abraham and Isaac, father and son, with all the elements needed for the offering, as specified by God, and how absolutely straining it must have been to, to labor onward, and yet... One foot was placed in front of the other. Trusting God would provide. And this is how testing is. God provided the test, which is what we just covered, but he also strengthens his chosen ones in their faith. Our second point will be God will strengthen your faith. God will strengthen your faith in verses 7 through 12. In verse 7, we read, And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? 
this really must have landed with tremendous force. I mean, what's Abraham supposed to say? Isaac's asking, where's the lamb? Like when we normally worship God, we have a lamb. Isaac clearly sees what is missing, and yet one foot in front of the other, taking steps of faith, trusting that God will provide. In verse 8, Abraham responds. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. They went together. And here I must ask of parents and youth. So this is the picture we have from the Bible, a scene of a parent and a youth. And it's a very challenging situation. It's a very challenging interaction. But do you notice how they interact together in this challenging situation? First, parents. Do your kids know your faith in God to this level that we observed here? That should you give an answer that God will provide that your child would trust you as you trust God. So parents, do, do your children know your faith that well? This is your God-given duty to train them up, to teach them, to share with them how you're growing in your faith, to train them in the ways of godliness. And yes, I know that's easier said than done. Second, young ones in the home. Do you respect your parents as God's word commands, showing them honor? Do you show your parents honor? Many of you are memorizing Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. For what we see here is clearly an example of a young man who has witnessed his father's faith. Isaac has witnessed his father's faith, has heard the prayers, has participated in worship, has heard the testimonies of the life that's been lived, of the things that God has done. And, and when his father says, this doesn't look right, Isaac, I, I, I hear you. This doesn't look quite right, but I trust God will provide. And what do they do? They continue on, both together, taking steps of faith as father and son. And we see that they continue on in verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. So here it is, church. On the Mount of Moriah, the very place believed to be the future site of the temple where millions of animals were offered for slaughter in worship. Now instead of a lamb or a bull is the son of the promise. A strong young man capable of carrying enough wood to burn a whole burnt offering on an altar. So what does this mean? I think it means that somewhere in here, either through words or simply submitting to the Father's 
actions of binding Isaac, the son submits to the father's will. He submits to the father's hands. He understood and he is bound. He submits to the will of his father who is submitting to his heavenly father. The intention is clear. He is to be the one offered up as an act of worship and taking steps of faith as father and son. They move on. They continue. And we're at the climax of what's going to happen. And verse 10, then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. This was the culmination of the test. What was God after and why this test? To test the genuineness of Abraham's faith. This is the very pinnacle of Abraham's faith as highlighted in scripture. And it gives us a tremendous understanding of what God wants from us. He wants our complete and utter obedience to him. He wants our complete and utter obedience to him. But he also wants us To show people, he also wants to show his people, he also wants to show his people what he could not let Abraham do. What he would not demand any one of us to do because he said, that's my burden. God is demonstrating that he is the one that will eventually be the father that carries through with the act of offering his son, his only son. And that the son will submit to the father, as we know to be true. This is what God does for us. And we, probably the most memorized Bible verse we know is, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is what is being portrayed. There's a test for Abraham but a a grander revelation of who God is and what God is planning to do. God provided Abraham with the strength for the most stringent test he ever faced. And Abraham passed the test. Abraham did not withhold anything from him. God strengthened his faith. God strengthened his faith, and Abraham gave himself over to complete surrender, to trusting God, And so we're going to see what happens next. Abraham trusted God, and we're going to see what happened next. And that's our third point, which is God will provide the sacrifice. God will provide the sacrifice, verses 13 through 24. In verse 13, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide 
As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. All along, we're hearing from Abraham that he, that he believed God would provide. All through this account, we be, he believed God would provide. He said to his young men that he and the boy would return after worshiping, indicating that God would provide. When Isaac asked him, Dad, where's the lamb? Which was to be offered. He said, the Lord will provide. When the binding was placed on Isaac, on his son, and the knife was being reached for the firm belief, even at that point, was that the Lord will provide. If you could start turning in your Bibles to Hebrews 11, we're going to touch on Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. But we, we look at this, we look at what's going on in this scene, and in our compassion for human life, we know that this just isn't right. Something about this isn't right. God could not be doing this. And that's why we're turning to Hebrews chapter 11 to see what God has in store, what Abraham was thinking, because the author of Hebrews give us, gives us some more details of what's taking place in Abraham's faith. In Hebrews 11, 17 through 19, we read, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, the account we just read about, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. We saw that last week. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So the author of Hebrews helps us understand the working out of Abraham's faith as he's going through with this test. He's going through with this test and he's reasoning like the promise. Isaac's the son of the promise. Through Isaac, my offspring are going to be named if God is asking this, then that means God must be willing to raise Isaac from the dead. In Abraham's faith, you see where he's jumping to? He's jumping to resurrection. He's jumping to resurrection. It's amazing. It's, it's a belief that's gained by this test, a belief in the resurrection from the dead. What a tremendous place for Abraham. He, he knows that God cannot, that God will not break his promises. So he reasons that God, God's going to bring Isaac back from the dead. Once again, foreshadowing the son who is given and who does sacrifice his life and who really does die a real death on a Roman cross and who was really resurrected. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who rose on that third day and walked with his disciples to Emmaus. So now from this place of worship, after this display of faith, Abraham is affirmed in his position. He's assured of the promise and all the promises. And he's done so in an oath that even strengthens this because God is faithful to provide. 
In verses 15 through 18, it's, it's spelled out this oath back in Genesis chapter 22. It's spelled out what's going to take place now that Abraham has passed the test. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And he said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God wants obedience. He he goes through all of this. And if you still have a, a finger in Hebrews, I probably should have... Reminded you to keep one there. Back in Hebrews chapter 6, again, we get some more clarity as to what's taking place. In Hebrews chapter 6, this oath that God is swearing, the author of Hebrews in, uh, chapter, in chapter 6, verse 13 says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, which we know he made a lot, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you. And multiply you. And thus, Abraham, having patiently waited, the author here says, obtained the promise. He obtained the promise. For for people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And that's what he does. That's, what, that's what's given to Abraham, this unbreakable promise God cannot lie. He takes an oath and he swears by himself and Abraham obtains the promises. They're all being made to him. By his faith, they're now obtained. It's wonderful. And and we know that last verse, that we have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become the high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Abraham obtained the promise. Jesus, our forerunner, is the true son of the promise, the one that will come from the line of Isaac in time to do all that is necessary for us to be able to obtain the promise as well. In verse 19, back in Genesis 22, It says that Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. So similar to Seth earlier, just some things in in scripture can be a bit humorous. Like all of this takes place and we know that Abraham has to go back. He has to go back to his young men who are waiting. He's told them that I'm going to come back with my son. We're going to come back after we're done worshiping. But the humbling impact of this encounter 
It had to have made for a real strange encounter at the base of Mount Moriah. What's he supposed to say? Do you actually reveal to people, like, I was about to kill my son, but God's provided? Like, when does that come out? Does it come out immediately, or do you have to give it some time? Those are some challenging words to convey. I mean, how do you explain it? I know oftentimes when God's doing something in my life, I can't really contain it, so it comes out right away. So maybe that's what happened. Maybe Abraham just blurted out, like, this is what's going on, guys. God provided Maybe he was more subdued and just had to let it settle in a bit. I'm not sure. But life continues. I mean, one step of faith at a time. But we should share our story because each of us have gone through tests and trials and God has been faithful to bring us through. To withhold sharing that testimony can be discouraging to others who are in the midst of a trial. Not saying that your trial is exactly like someone else's trial, but there are ways we can encourage each other as we're walking step by step in faith in this life. In this passage, we know that Abraham's faith was tested and it was proven genuine. Proven genuine. And this is the last time we have recorded in Scripture that God speaks directly to Abraham, directly to his chosen one, a man who has been especially called out, his chosen representative on earth, that through Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And we have this postscript in these these last number of verses put at the end of this story. And it's pointing to, again, the plan of redemption, God's plan moving forward. So if you look at verses 20 through 24, there is a parenthetical in there at verse 23. The only female name listed is after Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. And the author of Scripture is saying, don't forget, more is yet to come. God is working. And he's going to be continuing to work through Isaac, the son of the promise, and Rebekah. This woman is going to be introduced to us shortly as the wife of Isaac. And through their union, an ongoing promise is going to be continued to be revealed. Just as as we read in Hebrews that it's impossible for God to lie, the promised offspring survives. And the one who is foreshadowed in Isaac is going to need to come from the line of Abraham through Isaac. And so the wife is being introduced here at at the end of this chapter. And we're reminded that steps of faith are still needed to, to progress, still needed to be walked out just as they are for us. And this, this chapter of chapter 22 in Genesis, just like the rest of the book of Genesis, is, is unfolding and revealing a perspective. It's revealing a heavenly perspective. It's revealing God's plan. This is like what I mentioned in the opening, flying above the earth, having a perspective. And it takes a passage like this to show us that God has provided the perfect sacrifice to make a way for us to be in a right relationship with him, providing his only son, known as the Lamb of God. Multiple times throughout scripture, we see Jesus as described as the Lamb of God, John 1.36, whom he loved 
This is the beloved son. The voice opens up from heaven and says, this is my beloved son. Providing the son to die for us and God being the father. God being the father that offered up and carried through and sacrificing his own son and who raised him up again on the third day. Church, this passage elicits so much. When you study Genesis 22, you're often left in a state of bewilderment. At least I am. At the extreme nature of the test. What an extreme test. The test looms so large. And I'd encourage you not to, to rush past the test. I mean, don't just look at it like, this is, this is ridiculous. I just got to get past this. But grab a hold of the extreme nature of this test that Abraham goes through and carry it forward with your study of the rest of Scripture and see how God is the one that takes care of fulfilling this perfectly. The rest of God's word reveals how this is carried out by Jesus Christ, by God the Father. See how God works through his son Jesus in the pages of Scripture and and carry also the extreme nature of this test forward into your own trials, realizing that this test was specific for Abraham, but each test and trial that we go through is going to be specific for us. And the outcome, as a chosen one of God, will be the same. God will provide you with the strength and with the faith to take step by step to go through that time. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say he is tempted. I am, when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Similarly, in 1 Peter 1, 6-7, In this rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. We're all going to go through various trials. And Peter is saying, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the perspective. This is the perspective that we must keep when trials come, believer. This is the perspective. For they will come, and the tested genuineness of your faith will be founded in the Father's plan. The Father's plan. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Romans 8.32. Church, the truth is, he does graciously give us all things, exactly what is needed, providing perfectly that which is needed to walk by faith. Whenever you are in doubt as to how you will endure your trial, your hardship, your test, hang on to the truth so gloriously revealed in Genesis 22. Take the next step because you know God will provide. God will provide. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we have come to the end of looking at Genesis 22 and just recognizing the magnitude of the test that you put Abraham through, a test that 
you knew was perfectly well suited for him. And in it, by being recorded in Scripture, has revealed your character even more. Not that you would, you, it was a test for Abraham. You weren't going to actually have him carry through with the killing of his son. You would never have one of your beloved take the life of their children. You value life, and yet you took that burden, God. You did what you've asked no one else to do, and that's you offered your own son. You being the, the father that carried it out and the son that submitted perfectly to the will of the father. Lord, we are worshipers of you because of what you've done through Christ, redeeming us to the Father, bringing us back because our sin has, has made a mess, has made us in a place of departure that we can't even be close to you. But because of what you've done, because of the unfolding throughout the pages of Scripture of your plan of redemption, we see clearly that apart from Christ, we would have nothing. So, Lord, our faith is in Jesus. As a church, we, put, we state it loudly that our faith is in Christ. So, Lord, we celebrate the life of Jesus Christ, resurrected from the dead, conquering sin, Satan, and death. It's in him we have life. We have hope for an eternal life so that we can walk day by day knowing that you will provide everything we need as we go through our tests here on earth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Pillar Bible Fellowship. Please email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org.